moments when we're challenged, that's when growth happens. It's when I run into something that I don't quite know how to deal with that I personally change. It's easy when I can point at somebody across the way and say, that was good for them. Man, they needed to hear that. And they're pointing back going, whoo, I'm glad they heard that because I know that never happens here, of course. But where I've, where I've lived before and where I've you know, experienced God before, I, I've experienced all kinds of things. And that is a phenomena that is just, it intrigues me. Uh, and uh, one guy, one, one man referred to it as the, as the shovel. You know, he said everybody in the church had their shovel out, just passing it on back to the person behind them. But I hope today that maybe there's some things that we can kind of rake in and pull and say, you know what, I don't like what he said, but it's true. Okay. So I hope we laugh a little bit, maybe we'll cry a little bit, and maybe we'll finish at some point. Uh, my brother, who's running the sound and the media this morning, I think he nearly had a heart attack when I handed him my scriptures, and I told him it might have been easier if I just wrote the Bible. <laughs> but uh, we're going to start in uh, Jeremiah 18, and it's a familiar passage, and uh, you know, I hope a little. I hope this doesn't turn into a shotgun message, where you just kind of shoot at everything and hope you hit something. Um, but Jeremiah 18, verse number three, uh, and it goes down through. Uh, let's see, through verse number six. The Bible says, "Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So." He made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in that potter's hands, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. And then turning over to Isaiah 64 and 8. The Bible says, but now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, this is yours. We are your people. God, I pray that you would visit us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, just do your work and your way in this place today. I thank you and I praise you. God, I love you. Thank you for your blessings and your mercy. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would have your willingness to serve us. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the word. You know... Uh, Around this time of year, there's, there's an idea that goes around, and it's really, it's inspiring, kind of cool, kind of funny, kind of great. I don't know. It, it's lost on me sometimes, but I hear people say things like, oh, new year, new me. 
no, New Year, you know, same you, you know, I understand what you're saying, but, and, you know, some take it as a joke, but for some, they're very serious. You know, you, if you want to really mess with somebody, find somebody who's really serious about that, and just push that button, and watch, they'll lose their mind. It's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I don't, well, it's kind of funny anyway. Um, I'm not opposed to this idea, okay? I, I understand what people are saying. I, I want to improve myself in the upcoming year, and, and we need to evaluate ourselves. In the physical world, yes, we need to evaluate ourselves. But there's also times in the spiritual that we need to evaluate ourselves, and and these are good things, and they're good goals. And there's sometimes I need a course correction. Amen. There's sometimes I need my pastor to step into my life and say, um, why are you going that way? What? You took an exit, and we're supposed to stay on the course. But, and those are all... Great things, and around this time of year when I'm around church people, sometimes I hear an interesting phrase, okay, and I'm going to pick at this all service, so I'm sorry, but not sorry. Here's, here's what I hear people say. Do something for God this year, or, or in another way, this year I'm going to do something for God. And, and I understand the semantics, but I'm, I'm going to pick at that semantic because... Uh, I'm not opposed to the idea of encouraging ourselves to strive harder, but I, I want to tell you two, two scenarios and to, to lay the foundation of this, okay? Um, I love going to my granny's house when she says, I'm going to cook something for you. My granny's a good cook. And I don't have to worry about what it is it's going to be delicious. Because she's going to make it for me. And she's going to make some rolls. And she's going to make, maybe, I don't know if y'all have Chicken Supreme, but it's going to be amazing. And she's going to sit down with me and we're going to talk and we're going to eat. And, and, and I'm going to feel blessed by what she has done for me. And she's going to feel self-conscious about the meal because the focus of it is the meal. The focus of what we're talking about in that context is what she has done. But I love it when she says, I'm going to cook for you. Granny, yay. And a few years ago, I don't know if I told this story here or not, but I'm going to tell it again if I did. Uh, we were in, I was in the nation of Kyrgyzstan, and we ended up at a Muslim's house, unannounced, uninvited, and he knew we were Christian. We ended up in his house. Long, long story of how we got there, but we just showed up, and it was supper time. And we walked into this little house, and it had one little light bulb. The floor was one step above dirt, and they were poor, okay? I don't mean kind of poor. I mean 
They were, they were impoverished. And they were cooking a meal. And they had this meal prepared. And it, the meal was obviously prepared for their family. But we were the guests. And so they poured this, this soup that they had made in a bowl. Not half of it. The whole bowl. They, the whole thing they poured into a bowl. And they set it before us. And they said, it's yours. And they stepped back. And I didn't want to eat it. And I turned to my translator and I said, do I have to? And he said, oh, absolutely, you have to. <laughs> but they handed a spoon to us and we were obligated at least to have some. And I said, how much is appropriate? And he said, as much as you want. And I said, how much do I need to eat before they become you know, but until I have satisfied this cultural thing. And he said, you at least have to take a bite. And so I took a bite and I, and I ate a little bit of bread. And I said, thank you. And others around, there was four or five of us in the room. And they, they were eating on it. And during this time, the family stood back and watched us eat their food. And I asked him, I said, well, how much are we supposed to eat? He said, they would be blessed if you ate all of it. They would be thankful to God, to their God, to Allah, if you would eat all of it. See, that meal wasn't prepared for me. But it was presented unto me. So this morning, I want to pick at something, okay? I understand the concept of doing something for God. But I want to ask you, when was the last time you did something unto God? In Exodus chapter 28, in verse number 1, we read about the calling of Aaron into the priesthood. Throughout Exodus 28 and 29, we, we can read over and over again what the job is and, and, and the calling and what all it entails. And we could, we could go through all of that. But what I want to point out is that the Lord told Moses, He said, You call Aaron and his sons and they are going to minister unto me in the priest's office. The calling to the ministry was not to the people. Now the priests sacrificed. They made uh, offerings for atonement of sin. They, they made all kinds of offerings and obligations and all of these things that we read about in the Old Testament. And the, the people brought things and the priests did it. And, they, and it's easy to look and say, the priests were a minister to the people. Nope, they sure weren't. Sorry. The priest was a minister unto God. That was the calling. That was the vision. That, that was the original intent and purpose. All of the things surrounding that became secondary. It was incidentals. It was kind of just part of the, par for the course. If we're not careful, we get caught up in doing things for God. We get caught up doing things for people. And we call it ministry. 
Now, I know I'm going to walk a theological tightrope here. One mistake and I'm going to fall off. But Brother McBride's here. He'll help me. So, when we read this scripture this morning about the, the vessel and all these things, maybe trying to figure out how I'm going to tie this all in. Well, I am too. Um, do you know what the purpose of a vessel is? I know this is, this is theological. This is so deep. Just, I mean, it's going to be like revelatory. You know what the purpose of a vessel is? It's to carry something. Wow. It's to, it's to hold something. And I hope that that vessel would be able to transport it from point A to point B. Man, I know. Y'all are getting all kinds of good word today. If a vessel cannot perform its function, it's not useful. It can be the most beautiful vessel in the world, but if it doesn't function, it's useless. If you came to my house and I gave you a, a golden goblet that was diamond encrusted and had emeralds around the top, and man, it, was, it had this paper-thin glass flute, and it was just, oh, it was beautiful. But when I poured your tea in it, it drained out all over the table. You would look at me like I'd lost my mind. Why are you putting this useless thing in front of me? Because I would rather have a clay pot that holds the tea than a beautiful vessel that doesn't function. Hallelujah. In Mark chapter 14, verse 3 through 11, we read a... We read a I, all of this is going to be familiar, okay? If you've been around church more than about six months, you're going to be familiar with every scripture I use today, okay? I'm not going into, like, pulling out some kind of obscure thing. I just, I'm trying to help you at the beginning of this year to, to look at things maybe a little bit different. In Mark 14, 3 through 11, there's a lady that brings this alabaster box of, of ointment. And the Bible says it's very precious. And she brings this box and she breaks it and she pours it out on Jesus. And the Bible says that the disciples were sitting there and they were filled with indignation. Why? Well, this could have been sold. This could have been given to the poor. Ah. So here's the quandary. I know, I'm, I'm on that tightrope. Here's the quandary. Who told them they were ministers to the poor? She's blessing Jesus. She's anointing the Lord. She's ministering unto Jesus. And the disciples are saying, we could have took that offering and gave it to the poor. Are we supposed to give to the poor? Absolutely. But we are not ministers to the poor. Our ministry does not exist because of the poor. Hallelujah. Do we minister to drug addicts? Yes. Do we pray for the sick? 
Yes. Do we try to reach out to the hurting and the broken? Yes. But our ministry doesn't exist because of those things. Our ministry exists because of the Lord Jesus Christ who made us ministers unto him. Now he says, the disciples even went so far as to say this was a waste. Now, side note, a little bit off track. If you haven't noticed, I'm off track a lot. I'm, I'm along the tracks, but I'm kind of off, you know. <clears throat> side note, the Bible doesn't record that the disciples took up an offering to give to the poor. They were just fighting over what had been brought. Should I take that exit and go down there a little ways? I don't think I have to. They were caught up fighting over what somebody else had brought to minister to Jesus because they saw that it could have been used in their ministry. I don't have to go there, do I? Why? Because they had lost sight of what the difference was of doing something for Jesus and doing it unto Jesus. They lost sight that why I'm giving to the poor is not for the poor's sake. I'm giving to the poor because there is a Savior and there's somebody who can make a difference in their life beyond the physical needs. I've got to get my eyes on Jesus Christ. Even when I'm doing something for somebody else because I'm not actually doing it for them. I'm doing it unto Him. Hallelujah. The price and the value of the box, the alabaster box that was broken, was not the box itself. It was what was contained in the box. It was the anointing that the box contained. I know you've heard that a, a thousand times, but here at a thousand and one. The value was the anointing in it. If, if the box couldn't transmit and could not transfer what was inside it to another location, and if it couldn't transport it onto Jesus, there would have been no purpose for that box to exist. So what if I can't transfer and I can't transmit what I receive in the house of the Lord? Oh. What if I can't get what I'm feeling in the house, outside the house? What if I can't get what I get in a prayer meeting? What if what I'm filled up with seems to drain out before I get out the doors? I know I'm meddling. I know I'm making a, hopefully not a problem, but see, here's the thing. What the vessel looks like doesn't matter. I'm not talking about standards right now. I'm talking about spiritually. I've met people. Now, this is thin ice. I guess I'll just stomp and fall through. Do a Russian baptism right here. 
I've seen people who come into the house of the Lord. They come into church and they're up here and they're dancing and shouting and screaming. And they're, they, you would look at them and go, they're so spiritual. According to conference eyes, according to camp meeting eyes, they're very spiritual because, man, they're up at the front and they're dancing, they're shouting, they, they got their hands ready, and that's great. I'm not opposed to those things. I think it's fantastic. The problem is, is that it seems like all of it drains out when they leave the doors. It's a beautiful vessel that's got a leaky hole. It's easy to seem full when you're in the house of the Lord. But can you carry it out to the world? Can you carry it from this point to a point that God calls you and be poured out somewhere else? That is the challenge of the vessel. What does you? Does it matter what somebody else thinks you look like? Well, brother so-and-so, you know, he, he'll never lift his hands in church. But he's brought 15 people to church. Mm, I know, I'm meddling. Well, sister so-and-so, you know, she blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but she prayed for people on her job and they got healed and... In Acts chapter 1, verse 8... The Lord says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And that's fantastic. Someone say, thank the Lord. <laughs> and you shall be witnesses. Here's the, here's the, here's the part. Here, here's that part. You're going to be a witness for me. Isn't that what he said? No. Not what he said. You're going to be a witness. Wait. What? This doesn't make sense. Because we witness... Two people, and you're going to be a witness unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said, you're going to be a witness unto me. Wait, that's not how we say things. That's not how we think things. That's, that goes counterculture. That goes across the grain because, Jesus, you're going to be gone from here. I'm not even going to be looking at you. I don't know. What are you talking about? We don't live our lives the way we live them for Jesus. Do you hear me? I don't not go to the bars for Jesus. We don't go through life not saying certain things for Jesus. We live our life unto him this way. See, this is where we start dealing with the, those questions of, well, how much can I sin and still go to heaven? Well, you're living your life. You're trying to live your life for him is what it is. 
See, because when I do things for somebody, it's up to me how it comes out. If I cook you a meal and I'm cooking for you, you'll just have to like it however it comes out. Or you don't have to like it, it don't matter, but I did the work. I'm, I'm, on, I'm sorry, I'm already in the ice, I'm just going to swim for a while. When we do things for Christ, what we end up doing is, however it comes out, it don't matter, just, it's all okay, because I'm doing the work, and God knows it's for Him, and He can just accept it however it is. Yeah, if you're doing it for Him, but if you're doing it unto Him, it's all His, my time, my effort, my money, whatever I have, because it's unto Him. I don't live this way because He expects me to. I live this way because my life is His. So when we witness, He said, you're going to be a witness unto me. How does that work? God, you're so great. You're so great that I'm going to give in this offering. Oh, I know. Stir the pot. God, you're so great that I'm going to go and to this place or that place. And God, you're so great. I'm going to tell this person about you. Not for you. God don't need you to tell somebody for him. He's God Almighty. He spoke through a donkey. He doesn't need us to do things for him. But oh, what would happen if we lived our life unto him? Unreserved. When, those, when that Muslim family stepped back and said, eat. I was humiliated because I knew that was all they had. And with an open heart, they said, eat. So they didn't make it for me, but they presented it unto Second Samuel 23, 15 through 17, we read a really interesting scripture. The Bible says, and David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it unto David. Now I'm going to pause right there. So they're at war. They've got trouble, problems. And David is thirsty. And he's not just thirsty because there's no water. He wants a specific water from a well back home. And these men break through the lines, run to the well, get David a drink, and they bring it to him. Now, first off, that's... That's going a little bit above and beyond duty. You know. I won't mess, I won't, I won't mess with Cameron. But here's what David did. 
Bible says that he wouldn't drink it. And he poured it out before the Lord. And he said, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is, it, is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. David said, I don't deserve this kind of commitment. There's only one person who deserves this kind of commitment. And as much as I want this and as much as they sacrifice, God, this is for you. And poured it out unto the Lord. Now, here's what's an amazing part of this story. What kind of vessel did they use to bring the water to him? You think I'm fixing to give you a theological nugget here? It's not important. It, it wasn't important. I'll say it again for emphasis. It doesn't matter what the vessel was. Wasn't even recorded. We don't know if it was a goat stomach. We don't know if it was clay. We don't know anything about it. And the fact of the matter is, it wasn't important. What was important is that it was able to transport the water that was so longed for from the well to the point where it was poured out, not unto one man, but unto the Lord. If we could be a witness unto God, if this vessel could become non-important, Oh, I'm not saying that I've got this down. I'm preaching to me too. If I could become non-important. If what was important is just simply what I had on the inside being poured out. If I could get to that. Now, Matthew 28, 19, 28, 18, 28, 19, we get what we call the Great Commission, and thank God that we are commissioned. Hallelujah. It's the preaching of the gospel. That, that's, this, that's unto salvation. Thank the Lord. But Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, he came and spake to them, and he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he goes into verse 19, which is what we quote often. And he says, go ye therefore. What was the therefore for? The therefore was therefore because all power was given unto Jesus in heaven and in earth. He didn't say they're sick and needy all over the earth. Go ye therefore out and preach. I know, I'm walking that tightrope. He didn't say there's men in need of salvation all over the world. Therefore, go out as missionaries. Not what he said. 
The contingency of the Great Commission was that all power was in his hands. That is why we are witnesses unto him. I'm not a witness unto the sick. I see the sick and I pray for them. And yes, they are healed. But it is not because of me and it's not because of them. It is because there is a God in heaven who has all power and he has all authority. Therefore, therefore, we go and we pour out what we are filled with. We are just a transporter of the water. That's it. It's easy, though, sometimes to get caught up on what that vessel looks like. Oh, brother so-and-so, mm, what a ministry he has. You know, I heard him preach at conference. And, oh, so articulate. He just, he, he, he brought out things in seven different languages. It was amazing. And sometimes it is. Oh, if I had a ministry like Sister So-and-So, you know, she prays 19 hours a day. When she opens her mouth, the angels just come down and just flutter around her. It's amazing. Fantastic. But if we're not careful, we worship Sister So-and-So and say, oh, because of the vessel that she is and the way that she looks and the prayer life that she has and all of these things, I might as well just shut up and not say anything. Do you know a vessel is only useful if it can be poured out or gotten into? I, I'm fixing to get it. Buckle up. If a vessel has no way of being poured out, the only way for it to open is how? Huh? To be broken. That's it. There are Christians, I'm just going to preach. There are Christians who are going through things. They're going, oh, I'm breaking. Yeah, go ahead and break. God's trying to pour you out. But you're too worried about the vessel and holding on to what you got. And you're trying to build a little safe box around you. I'm sorry. There is no safety in the kingdom of God. If I can't be poured out, if what's inside me can't reach the world, I'm useless. The world isn't going to be saved because they see me. I know. It's amazing. As lovely as I look. The dead are not going to be raised by me walking by. As much as you pray and there's angels floating around your head, that ain't going to raise the dead and it ain't going to heal the sick. I'm sorry. I know the theological tightrope. I know we need to pray and fast. I'm not preaching against those things. What I'm saying is this. When it becomes all about you and you forget where your power lies and you forget who you're a witness unto, things begin to be for you and they become for him and we lose our ministry. 
You're not called to be a minister for Christ. Or for the sick, or for the poor, or for the brokenhearted, or for anything else. You're not called to be a minister for them. When we descend into that thinking, here's what happens. We start getting into arguments within ourselves. That's what happened with the disciples. There was an offering brought, and they said, That should have been used for my ministry. I was giving ministry to the poor. Look how much that could have been given for. And Jesus is there, and he's getting ready to be crucified. And this woman is weeping over him and pouring out ointment. He says, you're going to have the poor with you always. Who are you trying to minister to? It wasn't the sick and needy that raised up your child when they were sick. I'm sorry. I know. I know this is not kind in some ways. It wasn't the broken hearted who healed your baby. But there is a God. Who calls us to himself. And he says if you'll minister unto me. I'm going to make you a witness. You're going to be able to tell some amazing testimonies. You're going to talk about miracles, signs and wonders. You're, you're going to have a lot to say. And you're going to be able to say it all over the world. But it's not going to be because you're trying to minister to everybody else. But if you'll minister unto me. If you'll align yourself and say God you're number one. You're the most important. I know. Got to hurry. I've only got like six more pages of notes. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go reasonably fast here. Who would you be? I know. This is going to be a little bit tough. Who would you be if God took your ministry from you? How you define yourself when people say, Oh, what do you do in the church? Oh, well, I'm the... You fill in the blank. I'm the usher, I'm the Sunday school teacher, I'm the pastor, I'm the missionary. Who are you? And what if God says, okay, it's your turn to sit down and shut up. That, it's your turn to just be quiet and sit on a pew. What's your reaction? I know. I've been chewing on this ever since the Lord gave it to me and I've still not got it chewed up yet. Who are you? If God says, you know, you're not a minister to the poor. Well, what use am I then? And see, if we find ourselves in, in a un, very uncomfortable place with that question, what it means is this. We have taken our eyes off of ministering unto Christ, and we begin looking at the ministry around us as what we are ministering to. say that again put it another way if I am an evangelism director 
If I am outreach leader, whatever, I don't know the terminology that you use here, but and, and the Lord says, okay, it's time for you to go sit down and simply absorb some things into your spirit because you're getting a little bit off course and I need to deal with you and I need you to sit down and listen and take some instruction for a while and I need you just to listen to me and minister unto me. I need you to just to pray, pay your tithe, and be a good saint for a little while. If my reaction is, but God, I'm doing so much for you. There's the problem. I'm justified by what I am doing. And I'm missing out on the unto part. I have found myself in that position more than once. It's a reoccurring theme in my life, if I'm honest. Why? Because God wants to reach the world, and he, he gives us things to do. And we often get our eyes, it's like, okay, God, you gave me this. Okay, I'm going to go do that. It's like my children. My children I love my children. They're, they're so good, and they're obedient. But sometimes I'll tell them, I want you to go do, and they're in process running to go do, and they haven't even listened. And they'll just be in there doing stuff. It's like, I didn't tell you to clean your room. That's great. But what I wanted you to do was help me over here. Oh, but I know how to clean my room. Yeah, but I'm trying to teach you how to wash the dishes. Hallelujah. Final scriptures. 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 16. The Ark of the Covenant is being brought back into the camp. And David's happy. He's really happy. Super excited. And he starts dancing. And uh, he's dancing with all of his might. And he's doing it in front of the people. Man, it's a, it's a powerful service. It's like camp meeting. And they brought the, verse 15 says, and the house of Israel brought up the ark with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark came into the city of David, verse 16, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window. And she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. In verse number 20 through 21, David and Michael have this exchange. And she says, you, you were uncovering yourself. And you looked foolish. and You didn't act like a king. And David just says, well, I was doing it before the Lord. Michael had an, an idea of what that kingly vessel was to be used for. And it could be argued that she had a pretty good, uh, she should have a pretty good say as she grew up. The daughter of a king. She should have a pretty good understanding of what a king should be. 
But as she watched David dance before the Lord, she looked at that and she said, that vessel shouldn't be used for that. That vessel belongs in a palace. That vessel, it, it can be dressed in a nice robe and it, could, it can proceed with dignity and some kind of pomp and maybe even a little bit of arrogance because that's the king. And That vessel shouldn't be acting like that. And David said, God chose me. I have to believe that he was thinking about his life when he had been out in the, out in the sheep. And he, he was remembering where he came from. And he said, God chose me and he brought me into this place. So it doesn't matter what the outside of this vessel may be dressed up like. Put all the diamonds and emeralds and everything that you want on it. But when I get before the presence of the Lord, my dance isn't for you, Michael. My dance isn't for the people. I'm not a minister to all of these people. I'm a minister unto the Lord. I will dance before him. I'm not dancing before you. I hope you're inspired. I hope you feel something. But it's not for you. When I clap my hands, it's not for you. When I shout, sorry, it's not for you. When I get excited and I take off running around the church, and it's not for you. When I become so overwhelmed with emotion that I fall on my face and I weep before the Lord, and maybe even I roll around a little bit. I know that's old school. It's not for you. My pouring out may appear for other people. There's all kinds of things that you can appear to do. Politicians make a living at it. There's all kinds of things that you can appear to do. And it's easy to look like that your ministry is being poured out to everybody else and people are being healed and that's fantastic. But understand, that is only when this relationship is right. So as you go forward in the new year and you're looking at 2020 and new year, new me. This year I'm going to do something for God. I understand. But let me challenge you. Let me take it one step further and maybe just a little bit to the, to, to the off. <laughs> Instead of doing something for God, why don't you minister unto Him? I'll give you one more example and I'm done. If we said, and we're not doing this, I'm not, I, this is just an easy place to pick on, okay? <laughs> if we said, we're going to take up an offering for orphans. We don't give. We might even shed a tear. We might feel something in our heart. Oh, hallelujah. Give them to the orphans. That's great. 
But let me change it just a little bit. We're going to take up an offering for orphans and we're going to give it as if Jesus was the orphan. Wait, what? No, he said, if you do it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. That's what he said. Now, I know this is, this is going to be a little bit tight. If I give $20 for the orphans, I feel justified. If I give $20 with the mindset that I'm giving it unto Jesus Christ, as if he was an orphan, I feel convicted. Why? That doesn't feel right. The reason why is because when I do it for somebody, I'm in control. But when I do it unto them, they're what's number one. Do you understand? Clear as mud. When I give for something, what I give is important. When I give unto something, it's the something that's important. Amen? When I do for the Lord, I know, I'm just going to hit this. I know, we're done, but I'm going to keep hitting this point. I, I feel like somebody's going, I don't quite get it yet. Okay, I'm just going to say it again and again and again. Maybe it's just me who's a little slow and I need to hear it again. When I minister for Jesus, what I do is where the focus is. It's the great meal that grandma cooked. That's the focus. But when I do it unto something, when I minister unto Christ, Christ is what's important. If he tells me what you need to do is sit down and shut up, he's still what's important. If he says you need to empty your bank account, he's still what's important. If he says you need to go to Russia and preach the gospel, he's still what's important. The what I do becomes irrelevant because it's unto him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Someone say thank you, Jesus. We're done. Someone else say, thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand.